How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or FASD in unborn children. It is more common than many people realize. It may lead to lifelong physical and developmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD and find out about this surprising reality. Warning, this is not an actual interview, but a word-for-word recreation done by me and an actress. The original interviewee of this interview did not want to be identified. Welcome, welcome everyone to the latest episode of My Little Podcast. My name is Kurt Lewis, your friendly neighbourhood podcaster, presenter, madman, Today I'm chatting with Karen, who wants to tell us about her experience with pregnancy and alcohol. Karen, what is your favourite podcast? Do you have a favourite podcast? Oh goodness, now you've put me on the spot. Yeah. There are so many to choose from. I'm usually looking at listening to something that's health and wellbeing based or self-development, those kinds of things. Mm. No filter, Mamma Mia would probably be one of my favourites, I would guess, but yeah. Am I allowed to say anything other than yours though, Kurt? Oh, you can if you like. Mine has only just come out. So let's crack on. I know you can't tell us much about your personal information, but could you give us some general background information for our listeners to get get a sense of who you are? Sure. I'm a mother of two teenage boys. I'm married. I've been with my husband for 21 years and I'm tertiary level qualified. I'm doing a postgraduate qualification at the moment. I've continued with my studies throughout my career and I've been in many professional positions, be it frontline work with individuals or working in senior management roles. Yeah, that's probably a little bit about me. I guess I look after myself, I keep fit and healthy and I do a lot with my children to make sure that they're on that path too. When did you first hear about FASD? Probably the first time would have been 12 years ago, something like that. And that was because somebody I knew when I was expecting my second child asked me if I would ask my parents' group if they would complete a questionnaire about drinking alcohol and being pregnant. So I thought, sure, it was for her thesis, no problem. And that sparked a bit of an interest in me as well, because I knew that you shouldn't drink alcohol when you know you're pregnant. But it was really interesting to get some of the views of my friends and my peer group around their thinking too. So that was probably the first time I heard about FASD. While you were pregnant with your son, what was the recommended level of drinks you were allowed to consume? What was, at at that time, you were allowed to consume? Yeah, good question, because I did a lot of research before I fell pregnant with my first child. I was slightly older. I shouldn't say I was a slightly older mother. I was average, I guess. I'd just turned 30, but I'd made sure I'd read all about the food you could and couldn't have, and I'd read about smoking and drinking alcohol. And I knew that it was approved by the National Health Medical Research Council that you could have up to two alcoholic drinks, standard units, in one sitting, or no more than five a week. My pregnancies were in 2005 and 2007, but they actually updated the guidelines in 2009, I think it was. And those guidelines actually say that abstinence is the safest choice. 
because they just can't prove the minimal amount of alcohol that can cause impact. Yeah, definitely. When I was looking before this, when I decided to interview you, I looked up the guidelines because Louise Gray mentioned they changed in 2009 and I was interested. Mm -hmm. And I noticed there is definitely no alcohol because they said you couldn't. Like you said, they couldn't tell when the right times that pregnant women could drink. There are certain times during a pregnancy that, that when it hurts the baby, if you consume alcohol at that certain time. And no one can tell when that certain time happens. Yeah. Exactly. And there's always a problem. So I've been saying with this podcast, no alcohol while pregnancy is the correct key. And people have a lot of mixed messages when it comes to abstinence. It's kind of scary. Yeah. And I think probably the bit that I missed out on, which probably people still aren't really aware of, is actually the planning phase. So before you're even pregnant, actually deciding to abstain from alcohol because I'm quite well researched now and I've read a lot of information and understand the statistics, around 50% of the pregnancies in Australia are unplanned. So that doesn't mean necessarily that it was a crazy Friday night. It means that people were thinking they were going to plan to have a baby and in the meantime, they take a risk because they don't think it will happen so soon. I think the phrase pregnant, planning or could be is an important phrase to be used when talking about prevention. Yeah, there's a lot that happens and it's just scary sometimes, I think, because there's a lot of unpregnant pregnancies. I mean, not that pregnancies are unplanned or scary per se, but consuming alcohol while not um, knowing they're pregnant and it could have unforeseeable repercussions down the line for them and their unborn child. Yeah, and that's it. And often pregnancies aren't known for at least four weeks, and often eight weeks or more. But serious damage can be done right throughout the pregnancy, including in these very early stages. In every trimester, crucial development is taking place. If birth control is not being used, then it is so important to make sure that there is abstinence from alcohol. Definitely. I wanted to ask you, though, why do you think your son has FASD? Well, look, he was born as a full-term baby, And he was born at a healthy birth weight and he met most of his developmental milestones as he was growing up. So physically, he doesn't appear to have any issues. FASD is a spectrum disorder, hence fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And that means that no one individual, no individual is the same as another. So while somebody may have no impacts in one area, area, they may have unseen impacts in other areas. Right from birth, my son was a fussy baby and he cried a lot and he slept really badly. He didn't feed that well, but there could never be anything that was picked up as nothing was severe enough to need intervention because he continued to thrive physically. And then he was, as he was getting older, the learning deficits when he got to the upper end of primary school became really apparent. We'd taken him for a number of tests, my husband and I, from the age of about four up until about eight none of the health professionals or allied health professionals he saw could actually name anything. They could see that he was a bit developmentally delayed, but not significantly enough that you would give it a label or a disorder or a names. So the comments were always, it's just him, he's a boy, he's fun, he's busy, he copes with daily life, not to worry. To be honest, I felt like an over-anxious mother who was seeing something that the medical professionals couldn't. Therefore, my expectations of my son were just too much. It was only when, as I say, he got to about 11, 
before he went to high school. It was recommended by the school due to his level of attainment suddenly dropping so much and there was no explanation for it that he should probably be tested for dyslexia and dyscalculia because his numbers were a real problem too. He had an assessment with a clinical psychologist who advised he did not have dyslexia or dyscalculia, but he did have three neurodevelopmental domains which were severely impaired. A further assessment with a speech pathologist for a language disorder also identified severe impairment in the domain of language. Then, sometime later, I learnt more about the minimum threshold for prenatal alcohol exposure and I put two and two together at that point and I realised, oh my gosh, well, I know I had two occasions where I drank alcohol and what would be classed as binge drinking. I had more than five standard drinks of alcohol on two different occasions in those first six weeks before I knew I was pregnant and also on the night of conception as well. So I drank alcohol. I could confirm that happened. And here is my child who has four neurodevelopmental domains impacted and only three need to be impacted for FASD. Now the diagnostic process is very lengthy, detailed, multidisciplinary team process. My son at this point is seeing a paediatrician. He's been diagnosed with ADHD. Now, while that was a hurrah and a relief, which would probably sound a bit strange, I'm, I'm delighted he's been tested for ADHD, but it was one step in the direction of getting him much needed support because he really, really struggles at school, but has no acquired issue, if you like, that he can be given support for. So ADHD as a diagnosis in itself is helpful. I also have read from research that FASD is often co-occurring with ADHD. I was just... Did I answer your question then? Because I just kept talking. No, 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 no. no. This is all excellent. I just wanted to ask you, just wanted to give you a bit of a follow-up question and ask, what kind of support would your son get if he was diagnosed with FASD? So with a lot of that, it would be down to reports that come back from the paediatrician. I should say as well, so when the paediatrician diagnosed him with ADHD, she's now made a referral based on me explaining my level of alcohol consumption. She's made a referral to the neuroscience unit who will then do the next level of test. That will probably suffice to prove or disprove that my son has FASD. The kind of supports that he will get will really depend on how much I advocate for him, to be perfectly honest, because it's very difficult to find suitably FASD-informed health and education professionals who understand the disability. Obviously, with my son and my situation, I think I would mirror many, many thousands of women. I didn't know I was pregnant and I wasn't expecting to be at that point so I actually couldn't have prevented it but that's by the by. So what would he get? Potentially with daily life challenges we may be able to apply through the NDIS to get support that way but it would really it would be about me supporting him or my husband supporting him to make sure we advocate particularly in the school system and to be very mindful that he potentially is predisposed to other secondary conditions as well as he matures. I've contacted the NoFASD helpline on numerous occasions and I find their website very helpful to gather information and research and reach out to carers who have been on the same journey as I am. Well, if you don't mind me asking if I'm not crossing any lines, but how do you feel about your son possibly being diagnosed with FASD? Yeah, look, I, I, I probably when I made the discovery around the minimum intake of alcohol, it was a really tough time because I was reading all this information 
all this research-based information, I should say, and making that link and thinking, oh my goodness, I actually think that my socialising on a couple of occasions may have given my son a lifelong impairment, a disability that's going to be with him now for life. So there was a huge amount of guilt in that early stage. I then started to tell friends of what my suspicions were, and I've got an amazing friendship group, an amazing family. They're all very supportive, but all in denial that it could possibly be prenatal alcohol exposure because they know me and they know I'm a very nurturing person and they've tried to help me with that process, but I couldn't let it go because if he does have FASD, I want to know and I want to know for him because while he manages now, I would suggest he is low on the spectrum if he has FASD and that's because I'm a pretty healthy person, my pregnancy was pretty good and my level and frequency of alcohol consumption was minimal in comparison to someone who may have an addiction or who is unable to stop or doesn't have the support to stop. All those things mean that he's not as severely impacted, but realistically at the moment for him to find employment when he's old enough would be a real challenge. There are many deficits as well as many strengths, but many deficits in how he sees life on a daily basis. So for me, it's about having that diagnosis so that he can get that support and access it as he gets older. I hope he's able to get that support as well. I mean, a lot of children don't get the, the right amount of support, but I hope he is able to get that support, to be honest. Thank you. One of my last questions is, this is one of the questions I usually ask all my uh, interviewees, but is there more our listeners could be doing as individuals or we could be doing as a whole society to help prevent FASD? Absolutely. I mean, I think podcasts like yours are amazing. To be able to get the message out there, actually raising the awareness of prevention and talking about that planning phase and just how crucial that is, I think is a key message. On an individual basis, we can all support our friends who are planning a pregnancy. If we know that we've got pregnant friends that are coming over for dinner that night, well, do we have to drink alcohol? Or could we choose to offer creative mocktails and have some other types of non-alcoholic drinks instead? So it's all about how we as a community really support that message and try and create support systems around women. I think research demonstrates women are less likely to drink alcohol by a stat like 38% if a partner supports them by not drinking alcohol around them. It's about being less judgmental of people and trying to reduce the stigma. It's one thing to share with others that your child has a particular disability such as ADHD for instance, as there's no sense of blame or guilt towards the mother. This can't be helped. However, it's quite another to say my child has FASD because this can only be caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. Sadly, many people will immediately make a judgment, whether it's said or it's internalised. What? You drank when you were pregnant? You did that to your child? That's how some people will still look at the scenario. Most people don't know about the planning phase and the high level of unplanned pregnancies in Australia. Raising awareness of the planning phase, reducing stigma, and looking more at support for women who have an alcohol dependency are key things we can all do. Definitely. I just wanted to ask a quick question. It's just something that just came to me just now, but is there any advice you would give a mother in a similar position such as yourself? Anyone who would be listening? Yeah, so someone who may think their child might have FASD? Yeah, is there any advice you'd like to give them? Yeah, I would. I think, first of all, be kind to yourself. Because for me, if I talk from my experience, it was a horrible realisation that this could be the case. And I think, secondly... Phone the No FASD Australia helpline. 
They have a wonderful service and it's great to be able to get that support and talk to somebody who won't judge you, who will talk to you, but most of all, listen without judgment. They can't give you all the answers, but what they can do, and they did for me, was to allow me to share my story and give me the facts, really. My other advice would be to go to your GP and discuss your concerns and to surround yourself with people who you know, who love you and try and get their support. And if you are somebody who's currently pregnant and you struggle with an alcohol addiction or struggle to give up, go and seek some support, get some help. It's never too late to stop drinking. You can always minimize the risk of what could happen through alcohol consumption. So get help, yeah. Thank you, that's a excellent message. I'd like to thank you for agreeing to chat with me today. I think you're very brave, extremely brave. And I wish you and your son all the best for the future. I can't wish that enough, to be honest. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Kurt. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That is the last episode for Series 1. Due to time constraints on my part, I can't do any more episodes, unfortunately. There are a few people I'd like to thank, however, for making this series possible. First, I'd like to thank NoFASD Australia. They have been excellent partners in this endeavour, and I couldn't have done it without them. Especially Louise Gray, the Executive Officer for NoFASD. She has been amazing at giving me feedback, advice, and providing great ideas for the podcast. I'd also like to thank the Sunshine Coast LDAT. They have been really supportive right from the get-go. And I'd also like to thank all the people who contributed to this podcast. All those marvellous people I interviewed over the series. All of you are amazing. Seriously amazing. And I really can't thank you enough. And last but not least, I'd like to thank the listeners. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and will continue to spread the word about FASD to everyone you know. I just want to let you know that this isn't the end. There will be more episodes in the future. We are planning a special at the end of November with all the material we couldn't fit into Series 1. We are also discussing Series 2 and what that might look like. So watch this space for more updates. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Any questions about today's episode, then please check the links in the show notes for more information. Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality was brought to you by Kurt Lewis and No FASD Australia. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to www.nofasd.org.au.